It's the TEH Podcast, episode number 161. I'm Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. So normally I open by saying, you know, how's things in Denver? How's the weather? Yada, yada. Uh, We have had all the weathers in the last (laughs) 48 hours. Um, I was at a training thing for the organization I volunteer for. uh, And we were outdoors, of course. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I left, it was snowing at home. When I got there, it was raining. Then the sun came out. Then the hail came out. Then the rain came back. Um, it's and it's doing that again today. I was just looking out the window here, and all of a sudden it was hailing. Um, I hope your weather has more sanity to it than mine does right now. We've just had wind. <laughs> we had that too. A, oh yeah, I can't lots forget of wind. I, yep, yep. We we absolutely had that. So, so yeah, yeah, fun times. Yeah. So 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 what's on your mind this week, Gary? Well. I don't know. Do you ever watch uh, John Oliver? I love John Oliver. Okay. I I like John Oliver. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I I do watch the show. I find it entertaining. Yes. I find that his, you know, what he is upset about is generally what I'm upset about. There's you know, yes. not much argument. Yes. However, I have noticed over the years a trend where if he's talking about a subject that I don't know much about. It all seems very reasonable. <laughs> what he's saying, the argument that is made in the, it basically a video essay is what he does. Right. Uh, it makes a lot of sense and it sounds great. However, with the, with the occasional non sequitur that actually doesn't make any sense. Yeah. At all. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> for, for humor, for comedic you know, effect. Yes. <laughs> and if it gets more people watching and learning about a subject, that's great. Yes. However, occasionally he does a topic that I do know things about. Uh, sometimes tech related or, or whatnot. Right. And whenever that happens, I always lean back and go, Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> because too much knowledge is, is it's prevents you from enjoying the piece because inevitably I say, Oh no, you're oversimplifying. Oh no, that's not quite right. Oh no, that's very misleading. What you just said right there, that kind of thing. And such was the case uh, this week, when his main story was about internet privacy, something that I was like, he, meaning he hasn't done a story on internet privacy in the last so many years, uh, but apparently he did one this week. And oh no, I, <laughs> yeah, oh no. So, it, so, so to be honest, I have not seen this week's episode yeah. yet. Um, and for those who are uh, so inclined. Um, I have noted um, John Oliver's show uh, last week tonight is on HBO, HBO Max. Mm -hmm. And however, uh, they also seem to release occasionally the primary segment, or if not the entire episode on YouTube within a day or two. So it's probably there too. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and just like what I said earlier, the general sentiment there of uh, privacy is an issue. Uh, Companies take advantage. Um, and there needs to be better tools for handling privacy and things like that in general. Yeah. I'm, I'm with them. Uh, However, definitely oversimplified and some, and really got me thinking about, um, well, how do I talk about privacy? And, you know, I generally have the, the thing where I'm not too personally concerned with it in my, my life. I, I treat the internet and my use of the internet, like I'm using a public library. Yes. where I have to walk up and ask the librarian for everything. Uh, 
So if I want to know about a subject, I am walking up to a desk and pronouncing out loud to the entire room, I'd like an article on this. Um, And if I'm okay with that, uh, then, you know, I do, I do it. If, uh, if something were to be something I didn't want somebody to know, I don't know, embarrassing or whatever, um, then I just wouldn't look at a public place online, you know, for that. So there's no such thing as an in private librarian. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not, uh, so for me, it's like, I feel, oh, I handle privacy on my own. Like my, my personal behavior actually takes care of my privacy concerns for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, there are people that don't realize things and when they do searches and when they give their information to companies and all of that, how that could be, be used and sold and aggregated and everything. And that's what, in general, anybody who's talking about privacy uh, you know, is, is really talking about. A lot, there's a lot of this, which is you know, part of that, oh, no, thing is... Um, you know, isn't this kind of creepy? And he actually used that term, which I've heard used in a lot of privacy debates before. Yes. You know, oh, a company, you know, Amazon shows you an ad for something because you search for something else. And isn't that kind of creepy? Like, you know, the fact that, okay, uh, going to the grocery store, you know, I don't know if I, uh, I don't go to the grocery store much anymore, but uh, when I did, you always give your little coupon code or whatever that gives you like, you know, discount at the right. Safeway or King Supers or whatever. And they give you in return for that, you get coupons, which I never look at. But every once in a while, I notice what they are as they're on the way down to the trash can. And uh, after I became a dad, I noticed that for the first time I was getting coupons for things like diapers. Right. And I was like, well, of course, because I started buying baby products at the grocery store. Right. So the coupons that they're giving me, you know, so the idea is, oh, isn't that kind of creepy that my supermarket knows that I have a kid? Um, and that argument's used a lot. And, you know, a lot of people will immediately go and say, oh, that is kind of creepy. Well, I don't know if that's a good basis for making privacy better. Just thinking, oh, it's kind of, I guess it's kind of creepy. Isn't that kind of creepy? Uh, we should have a law. We should have regulations because it's kind of creepy. You know, instead, as a tech person, I'm like, no, exactly what is that? What, what are the problems with that? How could it be uh, done better? Um, that kind of thing. And not kind of this feeling of, oh, that's kind of creepy. And, and that's the argument. <laughs> you know, to me, that's almost like a, a fallacy right there, an, ar- mm-hmm. you know, an, an argument. It's, you can't just say, oh, that's kind of creepy. Therefore, it's wrong. It's like, no. Put that emotion aside. What's really going on here? Um, there was a lot of that in there, even to the point where, uh, like, so one exercise he did was um, he, he claimed that, oh, the government doesn't want to do anything about this uh, because they benefit from it. You know, their political campaigns can use privacy information to, to you know, send out ads and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what if we endanger the privacy of Congress? So he took out ads uh, targeted towards the type of people at Congress, you know, older white men right. who live in the Washington, D.C. area or right. are located currently in the Washington, D.C. area and put fake ads out there to see how many uh, clicks were gotten. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, you know, it's like uh, it's still that kind of like feeling kind of thing. Like one of the ads was for Ted Cruz fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> and and then it got it got like two clicks right oh i wonder who could be clicking on that and first thing i thought is like well 
I can tell you exactly. First of all, there's been people that are thinking that that's probably an onion article. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they want to, and that's why I would click on it. I was like, that must be the onion. Right. And I'm going to get a good laugh about a reading, whatever this is. Um, or it might be people that are like, what the heck? Is that a real thing? I got to know. Not like, oh, that's a real thing and I want to read it, (laughs) you know? So it was like, kind of like, okay, you're, you're, I don't know. The arguments sometimes are really weak. And, and most importantly for me, you know, the whole idea of trying to push government to do something makes me really nervous. Matter of fact, even in that same video essay, the whole idea was brought up of like, oh, the EU has legislation against cookies that basically now they result in you getting a little prompt on every web page you visit right. saying accept all cookies or customize right and then if you click customize you're presenting with all these options and who's going to take the time to go through all those options uh you know you're just going to say yeah just accept actually the screen they showed is an example right at the bottom one of the big buttons was reject all cookies I was like, it's right there. There's no options to look at. Ignore that. Reject. Click, click, click. Oh, no, they, they didn't click on that. Um, but anyway, the the example of the EU and how the unforeseen consequence of their legislation um, is, is the example why I get so nervous whenever a tech problem is, you know, the, the, the way to deal with it is like, oh, let's pass legislation. When they pass the legislation about cookies or the EU, the entire world now, every time you go to these pages, has this whole interface you got to go through. Right. Accept all cookies. Okay. Customize. There's some options. What do I do? You know, and I'm just trying to find out the, you know, this for this piece of uh, like most of my searches have to do with programming. You know, it's like, how do conditional statements work in Swift again? What's the what's the syntax? You know, and I go and it's like, oh, I could see the answers right there, but there's this box in front of it saying, do you accept all cookies or not? And um it's a it's a pain, and I'm like I'm sure, hundred percent sure that all the legislators in the EU doing this, none of them thought, oh, what this will mean is that every web page we go to is now going to prompt us with this, and it really won't make much of a difference, because when you reject all cookies, you could have done that with privacy software, you could have done that with your settings in your browser, you know, you had that option, um, and you know, maybe it's good that it brought awareness to it, I guess, but it created quite a mess um, with these pages. And I know they're doing things to try to make it a little bit better. What I'm convinced of, though, is that uh, it's actually worse than that. Mm -hmm. The folks who voted this in Mm -hmm. have no concept of what it is they've done. Yeah. They are responding to uh, pressure, often purely political pressure, um, and are trying to posture in terms of privacy when, in fact, all they've really done is, in the case of these cookie uh, dialogues, made everyone's web experience worse. Right. And for no apparent value because no value, in no. reality, cookies, for example, they're how the Internet works. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. I, I, I mean, if you look at the Apple trackers, um, you know, Apple on top of Safari has trackers, right? Well, how many trackers? If you go to like one of my few remaining games, um, there's a it'll show that there's a tracker on the page. You know what that tracker does? It saves your game. <laughs> right. And there's no personal information about you. It's just if you're in the middle of a game and you leave the web page and then come back, you resume the game. 
That's the cookie that's saved. It's got nothing to do about privacy, but because the law is broadly applied to cookies, it's, you know, it's part of that whole deal. Wordle Um, is another great example because if you've played Wordle using either different browsers or on different machines, Mm -hmm. your record does not travel with you because it doesn't know who you are. Yeah. But it does save your record on that machine in a cookie. Not a privacy issue. It's a cookie issue. Therefore, we must ask you. Right. Plus, the fact is that cookies are kind of a minor annoyance when it comes to privacy. Uh, The major thing is if you're simply logged in to the website, like if you're on Facebook and you've set up an account on Facebook and you said, here's my age, here's my you know, sex, here's my hobbies. Facebook knows all that stuff about you and you're logged in as you, it doesn't need cookies for any of that. Right. So the idea being that, oh, if I just block all these cookies, then I'll be private. No, in the places where you'd most want to be private, you're not definitely not private. It's just going to be on the fringes. However, I do have to say there's a flip side to this, which I I never hear John Oliver didn't address. I never hear anybody talking about. And that's the the reason that a lot of these cookies exist is to target advertising. That's as simple as it is. I mean, yes, they they take it all, sell it to people, do all sorts of things. But the main thing, the the reason that companies like Google want to do it is to target ads Mm -hmm. so they can save some information about you from visiting one site. And then when you're on another site, they could target it and add to you. And what a lot of people fail to realize is that it's not going to stop an ad from appearing anywhere. Right. It's just going to change like which ad appears. So if at some point you say you were looking at a whole bunch of car sites, like reviews of cars and stuff that would seem to be that you're shopping for a car, you're probably going to see ads for cars because the car companies are going out there and saying, we want to advertise, but what we're most interested in is advertising to people who are currently shopping for cars. So instead of buying 50 million ads to anybody, we'd rather buy 5 million ads that are only to people that are shopping for cars. So their goal is to, is to basically be more efficient in the advertising. Mm-hmm. And you are going to see either an ad for a car or an ad for a car or something else. You know, there is no not seeing an ad because, oh, well, it looks like you're a private person. We'll respect that and not show you any advertising. That's not right. what happens. Privacy it just doesn't sim- know enough. Simply make the ads less relevant to you. Less, yeah, less relevant. And and so, you know, when, you know, you think about that, that's, I mean, it's not, doesn't really affect you as much as you think it would to be private. And then, I I, I don't know. So it's, it's a kind of thing, you know, again, the, the creep out kind of thing. Like if, if you're, if, if you buy a, a particular medicine or something on Amazon, and then you're worried that, oh, now it's somewhere in my records, I've got this condition, right? You know, I bought a cold pack or whatever. So I've got sore muscles or whatever it right, is. Right. And, um, you know, I mean, there's, there's that, but there's just, that's, that's, that is kind of creepy, but kind of creepy doesn't help. It's not helpful. Well, well, and and um, it is still nothing new. Wherever yes, you got that cold medicine, yeah, um, as long as you didn't pay with cash. But even if you did, in some cases, yes, um, yeah, there's a record of you somewhere, yes. and that record these days is absolutely going to be 
in a machine, at a computer somewhere, whether you got it at your doctor's office, the local pharmacy, the local Walgreens, or wherever, or online with Amazon, um, the fact that you purchased this medicine um, is not a secret. Right. And it predates the internet too. Yes. Uh, tr kind of true story. When I was in high school, I developed software that I wanted to sell. And I never quite got around to like figuring out the best way to sell it. But I was told by somebody, an adult who said, oh, you know what you can do to sell it? Uh, you know, computer magazines? Yeah, you could actually contact them as a business and buy their mailing list and then send out flyers to the same people that subscribe to the magazines. As a matter of fact, you could buy like the list from two magazines and then whoever gets both, you could send them out. And this hmm. was like the 1980s, right? right. Predating right. the internet. Um, and that actually got me curious, curious enough to look into how all that worked. And all of the stuff that they talk about now on the internet, that actually existed through things like magazine subscriptions, catalogs, mm -hmm. you know, we're selling people's information. You order stuff from a, you know, major catalog for mail order. Um, you know, anytime you uh, just did something through the mail or, you know, called a, I don't know, called like a phone number to order something, all that stuff went into these databases and then companies could go and buy this data. And that's how you got junk mail then as well as now. But, you know, the way you got junk mail a lot of the times was because you ended up on some list because of something you did previously, right. even those, you know, those warranty cards that you would sometimes oh, fill out, yes, you yes, buy a yes. product, you know, you go walk in, it's 1983, you walk into an electronic store, you buy a product, register for the warranty, you fill out all your information, you send it in. Guess what? <laughs> you're on a mailing list. You're on a, a mailing list. Mailing that, list yes. That's why you're getting catalogs of electronic equipment now, because yep. at some point you signed up for a warranty. So it's it's very similar. It's been going on for a while. So one of the one of the things you touched on a few minutes ago, I wanted to kind of, of amplify. The question that I keep asking people when they are concerned about this kind of advertising tracking specifically is please show me how it hurt you. Mm, yeah, I'm. I'm not. I'm not even going to claim that it doesn't hurt anybody. I'm sure that somehow there's a scenario where some person can get hurt. But given the the vehemence with which some people are apparently creeped out by this tracking, I have yet to hear of a single scenario where someone has been harmed by it. A lot of theoretical ones. Oh, of course. People love to throw out the theoretical ones. Oh, what, somebody's what health insurance might go yep. up because they yep. ordered a cold pack on, yep. Amazon, on Amazon. And it's like, yep. oh, you must have gotten injured. You might, Maybe you partake in sports more than we thought. We're going to charge you more. But it doesn't, it's not real. It's theoretical. Yep. And while that stuff could theoretically happen, and we should be kind of on guard for that, and of boy, course. we are on guard for that. I mean, really, even I'm, I'm kind of, talking in the opposite direction now, but it's people like me and you that are actually on guard for that. Like you're asking the question because yeah. you would love to find an actual case, right? I would, you know, be, I would consider myself, myself, somebody who is very much on guard for a time when privacy uh, issues actually create a real problem. Um, and there's lots of other people that are much more in tune to it. And do this as part of their jobs or careers or you know they're journalists or working for somebody or the government or whatever but putting you know, regulation in place 
in advance of there being any real problem, mm-hmm. um, is kind of like, well, you know, the regulation is going to have problems as like the EU stuff already shows. And especially when it's a regulation put into place by those who don't understand the technology. Right. That's the fundamental problem. There may very well be some very good technological things that could be done to improve our privacy. Oh, yeah. Well, there um, definitely are. I mean, but they're, but they are not things that regulators, politicians yes. um, understand. Um, and and to to believe that they are the folks most um, uh, you know best suited to making these kinds of decisions supposedly on our behalf to protect our privacy mm-hmm. is is itself a fallacy. These aren't the people who should be doing it. Now, there's a strong argument that says the other people shouldn't be doing it either. You know, the Apples, the Googles, the mm-hmm. Amazons, and so forth of the world, because they too have a vested interest. But uh, people who understand the technology should be the ones making the decisions about what the technology rules right. should be. And one of the things that's often overlooked and was completely overlooked really in this piece, I think, um, is privacy is one of those issues where you do actually have a lot of control over your own privacy. Mm-hmm. It does take some work. It does take some educating yourself, right? Yes. But yes. you can, you know, you can use the internet wisely. You can install uh, well, not so much install browser extensions or any of that, but just set up your browser, you know, there's settings in these browsers that will actually help you without having to install anything. Right. There are there are measures you can take. And I think, you know, you could go really far in protecting your own privacy if that's of a concern to you. Um, so it comes down to that a government regulation will actually would actually be something where, oh, people are too lazy to care about their own privacy. We'll do it for them. The so-called um, nanny state. The, yeah. the, other, the other approach is to simply, I mean, you said education. I'll even go just say awareness um, and, and not hypothetical awareness, actual awareness of what the problems really are or are not. One of the reasons I say that is because with awareness, you can make decisions. You can make yeah. informed decisions. For example, um, people hate Facebook, specifically yeah. when it comes to privacy. Great. So assume there's no privacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you're about to do something that you feel what you wouldn't want to be shown to anybody, don't do it on Facebook or don't you know set that up so that you're not exposing things you don't want to expose. On the other hand, one of the things that I've done, for example, is all of my posts from my personal Facebook account are public on purpose. And I say that because that means I know before I hit post, anybody in the world can see what I'm about to post. Mm. If I'm okay with that, then I'll hit post. If I'm not okay with it, that's the step that people aren't taking that they need to have this awareness of. If I'm not okay with it, then maybe I need to do something else, or maybe I shouldn't do it at all. Now, another thing that um, was shown in the, in the show that um, it, they, they try to draw a link between uh, anonymizing data and it's not really anonymous. So the idea being like, oh, data is sold but it doesn't actually personally identify anybody with it Mm -hmm. Um, and how that's not true because it was so easy for them to cherry pick some examples where they were able to tell exactly who it was that the data belonged to. Um, First of all, there's two types of uh, anonymizing 
data. Uh, one is when you say, oh, uh, 60% of the people in this area prefer you know, this coffee over that coffee, right? Mm -hmm. That's just a big number applied to a lot of you know, people. You, the individual information isn't there. And then there's the other type where it's like person number 38475 made these purchases, did these things and all that. And they're anonymous. We don't know who they are. They just have a number. That's the second type they were talking about, right? right. But a lot of times when companies talk about anonymizing data, they're talking about the first kind. So it's important to understand the difference between them. So yes, if the, a company the phrase, says- The phrase to look for is aggregate, using data aggregate, in right. aggregate. Aggregate. But so they were looking at the anonymized data of individuals and saying, oh, like one example was uh, this person- um, their location data showed they were right here. And there's only one you know, multi-million dollar home located at this location in the countryside. Mm -hmm. And then they went to this other place that's a private country club. Mm -hmm. And then they went to this office building and then back home. So, you know, seems like it's all private because there's no name involved, but how hard would it be to figure out exactly who that person is, right? I remember a scenario, I think it was what, 10 years ago? maybe, mm -hmm. where Google released this individually anonymized database of searches yeah. uh, that theoretically would not point to any individual. And indeed, researchers did the exact correlation you're talking about, where they right. took this, all these searches that had this odd relationship to one another. And from that, they were able to identify the individual uh, to whom they had applied, even though that individual's name was nowhere in the data. Right. So, so that's the kind of thing where, you know, not being the creeped out, you know, the feeling of being creeped out, but like, here's something that is going on that maybe could be the target, hopefully of, of, uh, industry, uh, standards instead of regulation, but could be regulation. But the other example they showed, and this really bothered me because it, it relates to what we were talking about before. Is they as they showed a TV station. I don't think it was um, it was John Oliver's people that did this. They showed a TV station doing a, a, a episode of privacy. They knocked on a woman's door. She answers the door. She's visibly pregnant, and they say, uh, "We heard that you're pregnant." Uh, the woman's like, "Yeah," and they're like, "Well, we found out through data, corporate data." <laughs> You know, they basically use some of that data to figure out, like, you know, they that's this person had been put into a category of is currently pregnant, right? For marketing purposes, right? To right. market stuff you need while you're pregnant or about to have a baby and all of that. And what bothered me about that segment was they never then went the next step and asked, how did that data get in there? Because that would have been interesting. I mean, if it was simply because she had bought a lot of products that linked her towards to being pregnant mm -hmm. and that company had then sold that data. That's what I really want to know because that's where a thing comes in is where you can control your own privacy, right? This woman made, I wouldn't say a mistake because she never went and said, Oh my God, this is horrible. I don't want anybody to know I'm pregnant. Um, but you know, somebody who doesn't want that information out, uh, could protect their own privacy in various ways. But how do they do that exactly? Well, this story didn't tell you. Most right, places yeah. I don't read don't tell you. I could probably, if, if I knew that, oh, yeah, because this well-known retailer, uh, anytime somebody buys you certain products, you end up on a list of pregnant women. Then I would be like, ah, okay. So if you want to protect your privacy, here's how to do it, knowing that that is the, the, the problem.
The, it's funny because, again, I, this reminds me of another story a couple, maybe five years ago now, mm-hmm. where this exact thing happened, except it was to a, a teenage mom whose parents didn't realize she was pregnant. And they started getting advertisements for pregnancy-related <laughs> items yeah. because she had been, you know, she knew, and she was doing some prenatal stuff, picking up some prenatal vitamins or something like that um, yeah. at one of these large uh, department stores. And the department store inferred correctly from her purchases that, yeah, she was likely to be pregnant and we should probably start showing her advertisements or sending her physical flyers for things like diapers and strollers and whatever else comes after, you know, after you give birth. So yeah, it, it has happened. Absolutely. And that's a case where I would actually say that, yeah, this might be one case where someone was harmed because information about them that they didn't want exposed was inadvertently exposed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what I would like to see more of. I would like to see more privacy uh, advocates and stories and all that, not about like regulations should be passed. The government should do something. Big corporations should stop doing this. I'd like to see more about like, here's what you can do to protect your privacy. You do see things like that, but usually they're blanket, like install this extension. You don't understand what it does, turn it on and then deal with the problems the extension creates. Because a lot of times these extensions do actually create problems, which is one of the reasons I don't really recommend any of them. I mean, so often they're, they overreach, um, not only uh, what they block so that websites no longer work properly, but sometimes they overreach past blocking. You know, they want to sell more, right? Oh, it's a whole security suite. Oh, right. you know, get all this stuff, right? No, in, it protects the, your privacy, the, does this, does that. And then suddenly it's like, why doesn't, why can't I watch YouTube videos anymore? They don't show yeah, up, you know, there's a, in the benign sense, um, you know, no, with no marketing agenda, there's an extension from the EFF um, privacy badger which is basically essentially what you're talking about. It, it uses some kind of heuristic to determine what is and is not a tracker and, and basically blocks those things that it thinks are trackers. And uh, a nice side effect for a lot of people, of course, is that it also then also blocks a lot of advertising from various websites. So some people think of it as an ad blocker, but it's not. But the yeah. downside is I, I did run it for a while and I stopped running it. I certainly don't recommend it anymore because too many websites broke. It, yeah. it, it, it overreached and it's not, um, I, I don't want to say it's malicious in its overreach because it's not, it's actually has incredibly good intentions, but the problem is a very complex and B, uh, the, the folks with an agenda, the folks who want to track you have so many ways to work around the blockers and such that it's almost an intractable problem. It's almost a problem that really can't be dealt with. And the only way to really keep your privacy is, you know, okay, great. This company is known for doing this. Don't shop there or shop there with cash or, you know, anything else that, that you can use to completely anonymize your transactions with that individual, with that company. Uh, That's about all you can really do. Yeah. Yeah, that's bad. And also, you know, maybe fight, you know, uh, what's the, what's the phrase of, you know, pick the battles that you fight. Use your Um, battles. Yep. It it might be that, okay, well, I'm about to order from this online site, uh, ice packs because, you know, I hurt my ankle, you know, and I'm going to put ice packs on it. Uh, oh boy, that might give them some information that I've heard, you know, that I have an injury. You think about, well, so, (laughs) you know, maybe, 
that's not the battle I want to fight. Maybe I want to wait until there's something that I truly want to keep private. Right. And then that's the one where I'm going to research, find a place where I can order from in a way that I can order that it's truly private and maybe not try to look at everything as being completely sinister. There, there is also, uh, I guess, one last thing um, that, and I, I think you've heard me made this, make this argument before. I mentioned how websites, uh, they want to get these trackers there so they can advertise to you in a, in a more concise way, Right. Uh, only the car ads to people that are shopping for cars, right. that kind of thing. Right. Uh, the thing that really bugs me is that every time a block is thrown up, like when Apple really tried to add a whole bunch of privacy stuff to Safari, well, they did add it. Um, companies like Facebook and and Google and all, like they they cry wolf, like, oh no, this is going to destroy the internet, right? Right. right? Everything is going to collapse, and it's like, no, th- this is just about accuracy in advertising for you guys, right? People still need to advertise their products. You know, if you've got a product you want to sell, if you have a car you want to sell, and you want to spend money online to try to attract people, um, it you love the fact that you can advertise directly to people who are shopping for cars. But if that was not an option, you're not going to go and say, "Oh well, I guess we won't sell cars anymore." What else could we do? <laughs> you're still going to make cars. You're still going to try to sell them, and you're still going to have that same five million dollar ad budget. No, so that's the difference right there. The 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 issue from their perspective mm-hmm. is about effectiveness. Targeted ads are going to be more effective. More people will click because it's relevant, even but though they a- might be even though they might be creeped out. Right? They're going to click because the ads are more relevant, and that's where the Googles and the other advertising networks make more money. So with targeting, they can make more money. It's not that they make no money if you can't target. It's that they make more money if you can't. Well, I don't know about that because it's performance-based. A lot of advertising is performance-based. So if you want to get 100,000 clicks to your, your website about cars, you know, you might... If it was target-based, you might be able to get 100,000 clicks with 5 million ad views if they were targeted. Right. And if they're not targeted, it might take you 20 million ad views. But right, you're but paying will... for performance. Right. You know what I'm uh, you, you are, absolutely. But the cost of the 5 million versus the 20 million isn't going to be a multiple of four. It's going to be something else where the 20 million may seem much cheaper per click, mm-hmm. but in reality, um, it's um, um, more, how do I want to put it? The math, I just say that the math isn't that simple. And that's, that at least is the argument that um, the, you know, the advertising network. I, yeah, I, see, I don't, I, I, I think if you had a partial change of the ad industry, Mm-hmm. where some companies were saying, oh, we're not going to target ads anymore. And some said, we're going to still keep targeting ads. Then mm-hmm. you would have a lot of shifting back and forth and all that. But if it just, if, if they all stopped with the tracking, right. Right. And, or, or placed a limit on it and said, we're only going to track these things that are so general right. that, you know, uh, or maybe they are things like you're interested in buying a car or not, not like all sorts of other stuff, the creepy yeah. stuff as it were. The specific year and model and color. <laughs> or just the creepy, like what your personal preferences are in terms of uh, whatever. Then, then I think what would happen is the market eventually would even out after a period of time. Because I, I still think that like the car company is still going to spend $5 million. And that $5 million is still going to go to Google. 
or Facebook or whoever, right? And they still want to see the same return for that. So, you know, the, the company has to serve up a lot more ads to get there. But the, you know, I think eventually after, you know, some time goes by, the market would actually be the same, like the same amount of money spent, the same amount of money made, the same amount of people connected with a car through an ad rather than actually, you know, looking for it themselves, that kind of thing. That's my theory anyway. And even if it's not, even if it's like off by 10% or something, that's not the end of the world that Facebook and Google and all always cry. Right. Like, oh, this is going to root. That's it. That's good. The internet's going to shut down. You know, it's like, no, okay. <laughs> you may, you may make a little bit less for a while. And right. then you may figure out a new angle. It's like, oh, we can't target. Like for instance, so before, for those of us that have been around on the internet long enough, before they had this type of targeting, there was a different type of targeting that was so much better. I think, at least from a privacy standpoint, and that was content targeting. Right. So the ad for the new car would show up on a page about how Cars. to shop for a car. Yep. I used to make the comment that ads on Ask Leo were often more relevant than the articles themselves because they were based <laughs> yeah. on the content. And sometimes they were addressing the very specific problems that um, individuals were fighting with. Yeah. That's no longer the case. I mean, the ads are very unique to the individuals these days. But um, but yeah, there were con- content-based targeting was a very reasonable thing to do and had nothing to do with the visitor other than they happened to view this specific page. Right. So, you know, and it was, I don't know, for me, it, it, it seemed to create more of the illusion of control instead of being told, oh, your ads are going to appear at places you have no idea right. <laughs> all right. over the place, right? With on fa- next to Facebook posts about all sorts yeah. of things. Honestly, it's, it's, um, um, it's a, a thing for website owners as well, because in the past, I could have been able to say, you know what, the ads that show up on Ask Leo are going to pretty much relate to the topics I talk about on mm-hmm. Ask Leo. Mm-hmm. That's no longer the case. I get ads from all sorts of things that are completely unrelated to the site and completely related to the individuals who visit. Right. And so so the content targeting, I think, was a thing. Right. It's still, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it still is in some way, but I think it could be a thing. And I think it could even be better. Like I think current technology that, you know, we didn't have back then would have been to test out ads on sites. Right. So maybe the type of person that goes to ask Leo turns out also, there's a good correlation between people that like to travel, right? right. Even though your site's not about traveling, but how do they find that out? Well, they find that out because every you know, 20th ad is an ad about a random topic. And sometimes it's about travel. And then after weeks go by, the algorithm notices, hey, you know, travel ads seem to do well at Ask Leo. There must be a correlation between the people that go there and, and, you know, what tech advice, but they also like to travel. So let's show more tech, more travel ads. Right. And hey, you know what? This kind of, this is working out. So we'll keep showing travel ads here in addition to tech ads. In addition to that, it may look at a site, you now MacMost doesn't have ads, but it may look like a site, uh, look at a site like MacMost and said, hey, content at this site is very similar to Ask Leo. So the hypothesis oh, right. is travel might do well here. Let's make sure we have a good mix of ads, including some travel ads in here to test that theory out. And if it 
works out, then automatically start showing travel ads. So I think a lot of cool stuff could be done with content marketing today that probably actually, was not tried in 1999. Generalize that some more. I think that if um, user-targeted advertising uh, went away, mm -hmm. ultimately, that um, there would be other techniques involved evolve that yeah. would basically be as successful. I do, I do um, agree with you on that. I'm still not as convinced about the evil nature or the creepy factor of, of user, um, user tracking for this mm -hmm. kind of stuff, but to the extent that people are, yeah, there are alternatives for businesses that potentially could be close to as effective um, as you say. Cool. Well, I think we've completely solved it. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, you solved it the easy way. You just took off all the advertising. I've <laughs> oh, well, no, I was talking about the issue for everybody on the internet. Ah, ah, okay. We should change this show to Gary and Leo solve it. Solve the internet. Solve yes. the internet. <laughs> all right. All right. Now they're um, so, taken care of. Yes. So let's solve a different problem. We're going to yeah. run out of space in space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I thought it was interesting. I don't know if you noticed, but, you know, a SpaceX, uh, you know, a uh, capsule went up this week mm -hmm. um, and it was, it was, this is like the third time that they've taken up astronauts. Uh, uh, the interesting yeah. thing about these astronauts is they don't work for the government. Right. Um, they've been erroneously called space tourists. They're not, they're not space tourists. They work for a company called Axiom Space, which is an American company that basically has, has had plans for a few years to add a private module to the space station because right that. now we've got modules from obviously united states and russia there's i think uh an indian module there's maybe a european one and canadian one i don't know there's a bunch right of modules that are added on um they want to add one on as a private company right and that is probably going to be a lot of space tourism for you know that capsule is going to be involved with that sure. um that's scheduled to go up next year or the year after that module um they thought, hey, you know, before we do that and actually have a place in space where we can go, we might want to have some actual trained astronauts. Um, <laughs> maybe what we should do is send some up, right? Pay for some to go to the space station, get some training. They come back down. We've got a little experience under our belt. We've done the run to the space station once, even before we had our own, you know, module up there. Um, so that's what they've done, uh, which is really cool. I love the fact in a way that there was little fanfare about it. Right. Um, it was showing that it's becoming more normal that yes. things like this happen. Um, that's really cool. I was really interested in hearing about their module uh, that'll be going up. And one interesting fact jumped out at me. Uh, first, I thought, hey, they're adding a module. Aren't they talking about decommissioning and deorbiting the space station? Right. Yeah. Um, and of course, uh, recent political events have seemed to maybe have accelerated that idea. I think well, at least there's a higher risk, sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. there was uh, briefly or maybe earlier this year, or actually probably last year, I think there was a lot of pushback. There was like, oh, they want to decommission the space station and have it fall to earth. No, don't do that. And then now the way things are between the United States and Russia, they're like, yeah, maybe that's for the best. <laughs> maybe, maybe the <laughs> well, international space station idea is not working out so well. Well, but, there's that, but also I think um, I think the real risk, as I understand it, it's the Russian modules that are responsible for keeping it in its orbit. Um, and Russia, I don't know that they've threatened 
but there is at least the risk that they might want to that they might end up saying, uh, "Nope," and as a result, um, the the thing would uh, fall to earth, right. not because it was planned, but because they stepped away. It's unclear where we are on that. There's so much that's unknown about that particular scenario, but yeah, that I think was the real risk. Yeah, and. And so that made me think of like, wait a minute, this private company wants to add a module to a space station that isn't going to be around for long. Right. Well, if you read the articles, they have an interesting plan. They're going to attach it to the space station. And then at some point, they're going to detach it from the space station and attach it to other modules to create a new space station. Oh. Which is interesting. So they want to have this first module up there, maybe more attached to the International Space Station, eventually mm -hmm. create their own control system you know, that's right. needed for the space station, put that into orbit, and then take their modules off of the space station, or the ISS to be clear, mm -hmm. and attach those parts together, creating their own one that basically almost has this weird lineage all the way back to the initial space station, because right. it was all linked up. Uh, that's interesting, but it made me wonder, and nobody has answered this question for me, why would they? Why would you throw away? A perfectly good space station. Well, I mean, <laughs> I understand that some of the modules may be old, and they may sure. want to say, oh, this is going to cost, it'll be cheaper for us to launch our own module to replace this part, this right. one, this module that does this thing, right? So some parts like that. But it would almost seem like, you know, when they say the United States and, and Russia, who are in charge of it, when they go and say, okay, it's, it's 2030, it's time, right? And this Axiom module leaves, you know, why not just give it to Axiom, give them whichever parts they want? Right. I mean, you're not, it's not like you're recovering and saying, well, we could be doing some things with these parts. No, it's going to burn up in the atmosphere. Right. You know, isn't there something where some small amount of money could be paid or maybe not even money, maybe just, hey, you want some tickets? You know, <laughs> I mean, do, do the cosmonauts, do the astronauts, do they want to, you, you know, it would be nice to have a hundred seats saved, you know, in case NASA say wants to do something, right. you know, maybe there's, there's other things NASA is doing at that point, but say they, oh, hey, we've got this thing. We want, we want to train a few astronauts, Right would be nice to be able to be like, hey, we have these hundred tickets because we gave them a bunch of modules instead of burning them up. I don't know. They become the next generation of the uh, of the zero gravity flights out of Florida or yeah. out of Texas. Actually, there's another there's another company. Well, it's Blue Origin, I think, that is doing that balloon, that new space balloon that goes to 100,000 feet. Oh, uh-huh. And you, so you don't you don't get into orbit, but you get 100,000 feet up and it's a much nicer environment. You get to uh, look around. There's a bathroom, <laughs> you know, a um, <laughs> lot of windows. It's a balloon, you know, it's There's a six still hour gravity. balloon ride. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, but there is, but yeah, the thing that the article I read leaves off is like, uh, you're not orbiting. So there's gravity. Yes. The, yes. You know, so it's not, you're not getting zero G you're probably you're getting very low G, G but yeah, yeah. you're getting yeah. A, a slightly better view than if you've ever flown one of those you know, one of the big planes, you know, that go like international flights. Oh, yeah. They get yeah. up to like 45,000 feet. Right. And you kind of look out the window in, in the middle of the flight and you're like, oh, it's kind of, it is, it's kind of curvy right there. It is round. What do you yeah, know? <laughs> it's a curvy earth right there. You know, you'll get a little bit better view than that. But other than that, it's, you know, you're paying, I think they were charging $165,000 for that. And you come yeah. right back down to where you started. 
Yeah. Well, at least, you know. at least take it up and then, you know, have you come down in Europe or something like that, you know, then it's like, all right. And then you save, you know, I don't know. Save the plane fare. Yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, so what's been cool this week? Um, I, my wife and I ended up watching a show on Netflix called clickbait. Mm -hmm. It is, um, I assume, have you seen it? No, I okay. not. it is a murder mystery. Uh, it actually, I think it came out last year. Um, mm. and it's an eight episode, uh, adventure, so to speak. And of course, by its very name, you can tell it's going to rely somewhat on technology. It's more social technology, um, mm. video and social media and some of that. But what I find interesting about this is not necessarily the technology. They got some of it right and some of it wrong, as they so often do. But um, it falls enough into the bucket of plausibility that it didn't really break the uh, the suspension of disbelief too much. The um, that I, what I found interesting about it was that it was actually a good story. It was actually a good murder mystery story. Um, there are, like I said, eight, at the end of each episode, you think somebody else had done it. It's one of those mm. things where they take you here and they take you there and they take you here. Um, it's not one of those mysteries. That there, I always think of there being two kinds of mysteries. There's the kind where um, early on, like within the first episode, if you were smart enough, you could figure it out. Right. And then they spend the rest of the show revealing all the pieces of data that you could have used from the beginning to figure it out. This is not that. This is one of those things where more and more and more twists and turns along the way reveal themselves to the point where, you know, yes, on the very last episode, um, it's like, ooh. Uh, so we enjoyed the ride. Um, the other thing that I thought was kind of interesting about it was that each episode focused on a different character. So, uh, and in fact, each episode is the name of, or the, the role of the character that they focused on with the exception of the last one. The last episode is called the answer because they couldn't name it after the character that turned out to be the, the oh, villain. Okay. Um, but every, uh, every episode starts with another person or, or focuses primarily, not exclusively, but primarily around that person's journey, that person's story at that part, at that point in the, in the narrative. So I just, we enjoyed it. It was eight episodes. We binged it over the course of, I think, two or three nights. And uh, we'd recommend that one completely other than the fact that, you know, there's some funny tech-related stuff that does kind of happen. And I mean, funny in the sense of um, not humorous funny, just interesting. And yeah, I can see that happening kind of stuff um, throughout that. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. I recommend it. Cool. Um, I started watching a show. It's an old show from a year or two ago called mm -hmm. Tales from the Loop. Mm -hmm. have, you, have you heard about that? I watched it. You watched it. Yeah. So did you recommend that when? I don't I think I brought it up no. on the show. Um, it was a strange enough show that um, I was still trying to get my head around it, I think, for a while. Oh, okay. I, I kept I kept hoping for a second season, and that doesn't look like it's going to happen. No. I, uh, yeah. I mean, I was recommending this to me in a couple of different directions. So I started watching it. And, it's, you know, it's it's interesting in that it's it's kind of you know, the twilight zone genre of shows, right, you know, right. like black mirror and, and amazing stories and all that, yeah. except that it all takes place in the same town with the same, more or less the same cast, although over different decades sometimes. Right, right. So there's a tie in, there's a reason why it's one show. It's not, right. you know, like, uh, you know, twilight zone where everything's a standalone. Um, so anyway, worth the, so far halfway through the season, okay. the, you know, or the series, I should say. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you like weird stuff, 
Good yeah, stuff. it falls into Great. it definitely falls into that twilight zoney weirdy kind of character uh, kind of bucket. And if you if you enjoy that kind of thing, um, yeah, enjoy it. and nice thing. some nice uh, nicer than usual cinematography. I'd yeah. say. Yep. And yep. a very interesting. While, yeah. If you like camera, if things like camera angles and visuals and uh, <laughs> you know, things like that, you know, then there's a lot to like in the show in that direction as well. Did we ever talk about devs? I I think I recommended it. I think I, you did too. I'm trying I to remember because it, it, it has that it to me the, the it has that flavor in a in a different way. I mean, the devs was um, a, a different show, different, obviously different, completely different storyline, but it had that same feel to it to me. Yeah, I think the pacing very similar. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it in that yep. in that respect. So, yep. yeah, another good show. If you yeah, devs is definitely would be on one of my like if I had to make my list of. You know, you you just woke up from a ten year coma. Time to catch up on modern television. Start here. Yeah, <laughs> uh, devs would be in the list of like, yeah. all right, yeah, this is definitely a don't miss show. Uh, like I always say, we take no we we take no well, we're not offered any advertisers, I guess. So. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody we, wants to advertise. Right. Well, and I don't think we could charge we, enough to make it. I don't think we would. I don't think we'd even entertain the advertisers. At this point, I don't think no. we would. Um, so we promote our own stuff, and my bucket is going to be: How was my bank account hacked when I did everything right? Um, this is one of those scenarios that I think frustrates a lot of people uh, frequently where something happens like uh, as simple as a credit card compromise or as, uh, you know, as complicated as something else. And um, all of a sudden, what should I have done differently? Nothing. There's nothing you could have done differently. Here's why. It's askleo.com slash 42906. The video I'll talk about is one of those that uh, I think you and I always have to keep in mind. Um, sometimes the most basic things to us and to lots of other people yes. actually give a fair number of people difficulty. Yes. Like for instance, dragging and dropping with a trackpad Ooh. is is something that I, I don't know if I ever for a second, you know, maybe the first time I used a trackpad, I don't even know if I skipped a beat, but it's actually a fairly complex set of moves using two different fingers on a trackpad. Maybe. It just comes completely natural to me. Yep. And lots of other people. And then I learned that there are tons of people out there that just cannot do it. Like, right. and, and really, so I made a video just showing my fingers and showing what I'm doing, because I think once people are shown, they like, oh, it never occurred to me to have my thumb down there. My, right. you know, and so it's one of those things. Sometimes we take simple stuff for granted and there's tons of people that like, you know, use copy and paste instead of dragging and dropping stuff. Sure, um, sure. because it's like, oh, I have a trackpad. It's so difficult to drag and drop on it. That was the comment I got it was like, it's so difficult to drag and drop with a trackpad. And I was like, uh, what do you mean? It's like the easiest thing in the world to drag and drop <laughs> on a trackpad. Oh, wait a minute. For some yeah, people, I think it's not. There are a lot of very simple, basic fundamentals that, um, you know, anybody who's used a machine for any period of time probably takes for granted that a lot of people don't. They don't just, yeah. they, they either don't know that it exists or like you said, they don't, you know, they're, they're doing something else that they're so used to and they don't realize there's an easier alternative. They don't realize there's there. Yeah. So anyway, I did a, a video on that. And even there's even for people that just can't get it, um, there's even a way on a Mac to do what's called a three finger drag. You can enable something. And then mm-hmm. if you just put three fingers in your trackpad, you drag, and it's a very different way to do it. But for people that have trouble with using two fingers, one to click, the other to move, mm-hmm. the three finger drag is like a whole alternative that suddenly it's like, oh, I could do that. 
And yeah. now finally you can drag and it opens up a whole world of functionality yeah. once you can do that. Very cool. I think yeah. that ought to do us for this week. Sounds good. The show notes are at tehpodcast.com slash teh161. If you've got a comment or a question for us, by all means, leave a comment on that show notes page. We actually get email notification when that comes out, and we typically respond pretty darn quick. Thanks, as always, for listening, and we will see you here again. Well, actually, probably in two weeks. Next week, I'm not going to promise because I'll be out on the road, but we might run an experiment. We'll see. Okay. Anyway, we'll see you here sometime. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. All right. Bye.